afraid to lament. But today we're going to be looking at some verses in Lamentations chapter 1 that describe some incredibly sad situations. So I'll put this up on the screen and I'll read this. Lamentations chapter 1, this is verse 1 through 5 and then verse 12. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who once was great among the nations. She who was a queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn. For no one comes to her appointed festivals. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young women grieve. And she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. It is nothing. Is it nothing to you, you who pass by? Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was afflicted on me that the Lord who has brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? Let me go over some of the sad situations that were described in these verses. But don't worry, we won't be getting stuck in the sorrow. And I'll end by talking about beauty. Sad situation, number one, a long list. Some of you are list people. You know who you are. You make lists of everything. It might even drive your family crazy. You make lists for your groceries, for chores, for resolutions, for anything. Even for the meals you're going to make, you make a list. Good on you. I've got a little gift for you at the outset of this new year. There's a website I came across, and maybe if you're a list person, you already know it. It's called Listverse, like universe but it's all lists that are made. And they're fantastic. I'm not necessarily a list person, but some of these really captured my attention. Here's the top four for me just as I wandered through there. Number one, the 10 most important religious rocks and stones. Jimmy, I thought of you. I don't know why, but I just think you need to read that list. I think you'll really enjoy it. Number two, 10 weird wars where nobody died. Number three, the top 10 TV theme songs of all time. And most of those I actually know by heart. They're stuck in my head forever. And number four, this was my favorite, the top 10 legendary tales of heroic pigs. You have to read that list, okay? People love lists, but the list that we just read a part of actually today is not so fun. Now remember, if those of you were here last week, the book of Lamentations is a book of poetry. And in this book of poetry, the city of Jerusalem that was destroyed, actually ransacked and destroyed, raised, just leveled to the ground, um, is referred to in the book of Lamentations in this poem as a woman. And this woman makes a list, and it's an extensive one. And it starts in chapter 1 and goes through all the other chapters. And it's a long, sad list of all that's gone wrong in the city. The city is deserted. Some people have been killed. Some have been drugged away to slavery and exile. Her friends have betrayed her, and there's no one to comfort her. 
Let's just stop there, okay? Let me say a couple of things here. First of all, lists like this are sad for sure, but they're an important part of healing. Like I said last week, hidden pain is never healed. Ask any therapist. Hidden pain is never healed. So to experience healing in our lives, we actually have to look at our pain and loss. And a great way to do that, make a list. Ask yourself, what am I sad about? What am I angry about? What have I lost? What do I need to grieve? What am I afraid of? What have I been carrying? And then list these things, write them down. I made a list like this just a few months ago. I noticed that for the last six to eight months, I've been walking around with this gnawing sense of loss just kind of rumbling inside of me. So at a friend's guidance and a friend's prompting, I made a list of the things I've lost since 2022 at the beginning, at the onset of the pandemic. And I was shocked as I made a list of all the things that I'd lost. I couldn't believe how much I'd lost in that three-year period. For a while, I lost public gathering. We take it for granted doing stuff like we're doing today, and I had to grieve that. I lost friendships during the pandemic, really close friendships. They're just gone now. I'd even lost dreams. The years during the pandemic were chaotic for all of us, and they were for me, and so I'd never taken time to look at this loss and grieve it until I made the list. Now I could actually see my loss. I could grieve my loss. I let it hurt, and then I let it heal. My list led me to lamenting, and the lamenting led to healing, and it was this powerful experience. Secondly, and maybe some of you can relate to this, maybe some of you are sad, mad, or confused about the same thing that the woman that represents Jerusalem was sad, mad, and confused about. Maybe you, some of you felt, feel right now deserted. Maybe you've been abandoned by friends or family members or maybe even a spouse in the last year or so. Or maybe you feel like you're in exile. You're enslaved to some habit or addiction or maybe a way of thinking. And now you feel like you don't belong. You feel like you're living in a strange land and your life is just blending in one day after another in this constant stream of despair. Or maybe like the woman in the story, you feel intensely lonely. There's no one in your life to comfort you. You got plenty of acquaintances that'll be around you when you're having a good time, but you don't have many soul level friends that will run to your side and that will listen to you and hug you and suffer with you and encourage and comfort you. Take some time at the onset of this new year, I beg of you to look at your life and look at it and say, what am I feeling? What am I caring? What am I sad about? What am I confused about? And then make a list See your pain, see your loss, see your confusion and sorrow, and let it out. Cry out to God about it. Lament it. I'll end this part of the sermon by a quote from St. Augustine. He writes this, It is better, though, that the human heart should feel grief and be cured of it than by not feeling grief to become inhuman. Very good. Let's make a list of our pain this year so we, in 2023, we can be more human. Oh, by the way, my message is entitled, I forgot to tell you, I really love to entitle messages, Lists, Slimy Pits, and Wabi Sabi. We'll get to all of it, okay? So now let's move on to sad situation number two. 
the singing stopped. Verse 4 is super sad. It says about the city of Jerusalem, nobody comes to her appointed feast. This is significant because the feasts that she mentions here were significant times of public gathering in the city of Jerusalem where they had public times of worship and singing and celebration. But now only the sound of groaning was heard in the city and the sound of praise and worship had been silenced. And it's easy to see why. Look at your own life. Just examine your own life. Most of us assume that the only time that we can sing praise songs to God and celebrate God's goodness is when everything is going perfectly in our life, when everything is just rainbows and ice cream, okay? That's just not reality. In fact, one of the best times to sing praise songs to God is when everything is going wrong and the rainbow is just rain like it is today and the ice cream's all melted. That's a great time to praise. And let me explain why. First of all, praising during the difficult stretches of your life will change your outlook. I was a youth pastor for 23 years at Downtown Faith Center, and one of the things I did is I took kids on road trips every year, like our youth group is continuing to do, and we went down to Southern California for 10 years to Catalina Island, and um, when we went down there, we had to take old broken down Tijuana-type buses down to Catalina because our church didn't have the money to fund good buses, evidently, but we made it down there, and we had to take ferry boat rides there, and it was quite a trip. We got to know each other quite well, and we had one boy, his name was Brooks, and I'll never forget him. He was a little person. He was about three feet, 11 inches tall, and he always wore a rainbow-colored beanie with a propeller on the top. I, I don't know why. He was, just, he was just an odd duck. But I can specifically remember we had a competition. All the kids were in these teams, and they had competitions to see who could win points for their teams. And one was a make-me-laugh competition. And you had, the teams had to go up to different staff people, and the staff people would stand there stone-faced, and they had to do something to try to make them laugh. And all the other teams made their counselor laugh except Brooks's team. Nobody could make this woman named Julie laugh. She had amazing self-control and she was just stone-faced. But I'll never forget it. The last one to try to make her laugh was Brooks. So he went running up all three feet, 11 inches of him up to Julie and he tripped and fell in a mud puddle and he got up and there was a piece of grass lodged in his buck teeth. Sorry, but he had pretty significant buck teeth. And that didn't make Julie laugh. Made me laugh, but it didn't make her laugh. But then he had no shame, no pride at all. He stood right in front of her silently for a moment and then he started bobbing up and down and went, oompa loompa. Oh my gosh, I just, the whole camp erupted in laughter, including Julie. That one ridiculous little silly song had the ability to change her countenance instantly, just absolutely instantly. Singing songs of praise changes more than just our faces, it changes our outlook. Time Magazine a few years ago did a study on singing and they wrote this, this is so Terrific. They wrote, singing has been scientifically proven to lower stress, relieve anxiety, and elevate endorphins, even if it's bad singing, okay? It doesn't even have to be good singing. When we sing, vibrations move through us, altering our physical and emotional landscape. Did you catch that? When we sing, vibrations move through us, altering our physical and emotional landscape. Group singing is the most exhilarating and transformative of all. 
I couldn't believe it when I read this. Singing praise songs in groups like they would have done in the city of Jerusalem and like we did today is even more powerful and transformative than regular group singing because it engages the soul. I want to put two verses up on the screen from you. It's actually a song. It's called Psalm 40. It's in a book of Psalms, which is songs and hymns and songs and rants and poetry to God. Look what, and King David wrote this, and he writes this in verse 2 and 3. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Being flooded with sorrow in our lives is in trouble is often referred to as being in the pits. And David wrote this song, and as he sang it, the words accurately describe what happens to us when we sing songs of praise. We are lifted out of what he calls the slimy pits. This doesn't mean that everything is going to go perfect in our life. That's not reality. It does mean that we are now on higher ground. And so our outlook has changed. From this perch on higher ground, from being lifted up out of the pits, we can see two things. We can still see our sorrow and trouble, and it's real. But we can also see the God who lifted us up out of the sorrow and trouble. And that God is very real too. Singing praise gives joy a chance in our life. Not the false kind of joy that pretends nothing's wrong in your life, but the deep sense of joy that recognizes that God is simply better and bigger than anything that causes us sorrow. So these books of Psalms, they're interesting. They're in the Old Testament. And many of them are songs of praise. But up to two-thirds of them, and there's over a hundred of them, up to two-thirds of them are actually songs of lament. So lament and sorrow and songs of praise are side-by-side side in the Bible, and they have to be side-by-side side in our lives as well because lament makes us look at our sorrow, and praise makes sure that we don't get overwhelmed by our sorrow. So that's one good reason to sing during the dark stretches. The other is this. When we sing during the dark stretches, it helps us to glow. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. We didn't have computer games until the 80s, and so we were easily self-entertained. And I became infatuated with glow-in-the-dark stuff. I still love it. It all started with glow-in-the-dark silly putty. Does anybody remember that? As a kid, I just thought, I have died and gone to heaven. This is like the coolest thing ever. As an adult, I just found out this week, and I'm 59, and I just found out this week, that they now have duct tape, which is one of mankind's greatest inventions, in glow-in-the-dark items now. There's glow-in-the-dark duct tape. Do you not want to run down to your hardware store and buy that right now? Glow-in-the-dark duct tape. Here are some other cool things that glow-in-the-dark that I found. This is an anglerfish, which if you've watched um, Finding Nemo, you've seen an anglerfish. It's creepy looking, but it glows in the dark, so I like it. And then secondly, glow-in-the-dark face paint. How fun would this be for your grandparents? I mean, for your grandparents. They're, most of them are dead. Um, are they not? Most of them, not mine are. Okay, so. Um, but for your grandkids or your kids, man, just turn off the lights and paint yourself. That is just so cool. When we sing and offer our praises and our affection and our attention to God, it makes us glow during the dark and difficult stretches of our life. And here's how. Jesus told us 
that he is the light of the world. When we sing songs of praise, it positions us to face that light. We are then infused by that light so we can emit it to the rest of the world. So let's not let our songs of praise be silenced like was the case for the city of Jerusalem. Sometimes you just got to paddle through the rapids. You just got to sing through the sorrow and trouble. And here's the last sad situation. God is blamed. Many people all throughout history have believed that when good things happen in their life, it's a reward from God for their good behavior because somehow their lives were pleasing to God. And when bad things happen, that means that somehow they didn't meet God's expectations and God sends these bad things into their life to punish them. You wouldn't believe how many people I've talked to that have that belief to this day. That seems to be the case in the book of Lamentations. Because in verse 12 that we read, and again in verse 15, God is viewed as an angry, cruel deity that brought this intense suffering upon them that the Babylonians, when they leveled the city, happened to them. That God is the one that brought this suffering into their lives because their sinful lives didn't meet up to his expectations. Blaming God for all the bad things that happen in your life will lead you to an incredibly sad existence because to blame God is to distance yourself from God because who wants intimacy with a God who is cruel and a demanding tyrant who rains down trouble on you the moment that you disappoint him or her or they, choose your pronouns. No one. I put up this quote from the poet Mirabai Star a few weeks ago. I'm going to put it up again. She writes this. Once you know the God of love, you'll fire all the other gods. That is so true. And I believe that some of you this year need to hand out pink slips. You need to fire the toxic God that you've been trying to worship and you're unable to because you have an improper view of God. Another author that I really like, Meister Eckhart, um, he wrote this. How long will grown-up men and women in this world keep drawing in their coloring books an image of God that makes them sad? Oh, that's spoken so well. The only way I know to change our view of God is to experience God for who God really is. An unchangeable inexhaustible, infinite fountain of love. And here's where lament comes in. Sounds crazy, but it's true. Here is how lament will help us to have our view of God change. A very important element of lament is remembering. When you lament, you look at your grief, your pain and sorrow, and you remember it. You remember the things that cause those things in your life. You also remember something else. You remember that no matter how bad things are or how bad they get, that God is with us and God is for us and God has never been and never will be our enemy because the true God is not a cruel tyrant. The tr true God is a God of love. The Japanese have a philosophy. I love this just because I love to say it. It's very phonetically pleasing. I'll put it up on the screen for you. Wabi-sabi. Do you not just want to name your next dog that? Come here, wabi-sabi. Okay. This philosophy, though, is really cool. It means to value the old, the imperfect, and the enduring things in the world. I've noticed that some people become more beautiful the older they get. 
Now, gravity definitely takes its toll. Things have sagged, things have wrinkled, things have grayed, all, all of that kind of stuff. But despite their obvious physical imperfections, they, we really should wabi-sabi them because their inner beauty comes out. It just comes bursting out of them. They have become beautiful because instead of blaming God for their trouble, they made a choice to look for God in their trouble. And somehow that made them incredibly beautiful. They have this beauty of a life lived in the tenacious solidarity with a God of love. I, it's remarkable to watch. And I know a lot of people like this and their lives haven't been pain-free. In fact, some of the most beautiful people I know have endured way more than their fair share of pain. But they always looked for God in their trouble and it made them beautiful. Enough of me talking. Lisa's gonna come up now and I'll turn your mic on for you, Lisa. It is, our, it is our habit to do a spiritual practice after the message so we don't just hear it and then forget about it. So Lisa's gonna lead us in that and then we've got some important announcements to make after that. Lisa, take it away. Over the years, I have learned to love lament. My husband calls me Lisa the Lamenter. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> but it, in all seriousness, it's become a way for me to bring my deepest emotions before God and to acknowledge them, feel them, vent them in a safe place with somebody who cares deeply for me and is compassionate for my pain. I started practicing lament about five to six years ago, but it wasn't until March of 2020 when the pandemic hit that I really did a deep dive. Along with everybody else, I was dealing with confusion, disorientation, pain, fear, grief, and felt very overwhelmed. Sadly, simultaneously, that same in March of 2020 began a very painful season in our family where we became estranged from one of our children for two years. So this pain that I was feeling was doubled or tripled and I needed a safe place to vent. It wasn't just sorrow and grief, it was anger, resentment, frustration, pain. So what I began to do and I'm not very good at this. I hadn't been very good at this. I never was somebody who allowed myself to feel my feelings, but lament became my way of acknowledging those and feeling them and bringing them before God. Day after day, I'd wake up and feel the hurt and anger physically, and I'd go to God and bring all of that before him. I'd sit down with my laptop and let it out before him. It wasn't pretty, it wasn't tidy, it was really messy and ugly. But the thing is, even though it didn't bring immediate relief, it always brought me back to God by getting all those emotions out. I have found that lament before God is a safe place to bring it all. Rather than spew my pain on everybody around me, and believe me, I've done that. Lament gave me a voice to express all that was in me without damaging other people. 
It gave me permission to bring those uncomfortable feelings out of hiding. I remember at one point it was lamenting and the pain was so deep and God just said, bring it up out of hiding. So that became my turn to bring up those emotions up. It took months of lament and expressing my anger to God before I was even able to start the healing process. And honestly, I'm still going through it. So one of the things that I began to see that as, as long as I didn't, and Tom, Tom, Tim brought this up today, is that if I didn't bring those things up before him, they just kind of sat, kind of rotting inside. It created this, I always envisioned this like a river with a huge dam of like debris that had clogged up the flow of the river. And as I began to bring those things up, it kind of unclogged things. And I was, he began to go through that healing process. Tim brought it up well. Hidden pain is never healed. So this morning, Terry did an incredible job last week, if you were here, of expressing. She modeled lament in a very real and raw way. It was a lament about sorrow and grief. This morning, I want to invite us to do a similar process. I've taken her worksheet that she handed out last week, and I've made a couple little additions to it is we're going to look at lament through the lens of anger. And this isn't anger to spew out over everybody, but it's anger to bring before God so that we don't become consumed by bitterness. It also directs our emotions back to God so that we, um, we are cleansed and healed. So you'll each have your worksheet in front of you. Terry brought up last week that there's a three-step process that is biblical for lament. It's turn to God with your complaint, cry out for God's help, and then trust that he will come through. So what I'd like to invite you to do, it's written on the top of your sheet, is consider a situation or event, a person, or even God, that stirs up emotions whether that's anger, pain, resentment, or defensiveness. And it may be uncomfortable. You might not even be comfortable doing this today in this, in this space. But I encourage you to do this when you do have time and can be with it. But invite God to be with you in the midst of it. Imagine his loving presence with you as you sit with your discomfort. So bring all those emotions to God and then go through this process. I'm going to give you about five minutes like we did last week, and we know that this is just a drop in the bucket of time. But maybe start the process, even if all it is is just identifying a painful situation and then sit with that. So your time begins now. <laughs> 